Govonen Melunin, and welcome to Speak, Friend, and Enter, a podcast where my sister and I use Tolkien's books to fill in some things that the movies didn't make totally clear. I'm Leah, and I've read all the books, including those that were probably never meant to see the light of day. My sister is Audrey, and she's watched all the movies and special features so many times she can recite them by heart. I'm happy to report that this is the last episode with the tinny audio quality, so thank you for your patience on that front. We're going to jump right back into the episode discussing the prologue to Fellowship of the Ring. Enjoy! So back to the prologue. One ring to rule them all. One by one, the free lands of Middle-earth fell to the power of the ring, but there were some who resisted. A last alliance of men and elves marched against the armies of Mordor and on the very slopes of Mount Doom, they fought for the freedom of Middle-earth. Victory was near, but the power of the ring could not be undone. This is the final battle of a seven-year siege on Barad-dûr, which is the cool pointy tower that has the big flaming red eyeball in it. Right. Um, so there's the battle scene, the elves are all doing their awesome roll-off blade trick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Sauron is like, he has a giant mace and he's just bringing a dozen dudes at once with it, including one man that the camera focuses on, and this is Isildur's father, Elendil. It was in this moment, when all hope had faded, that Isildur, son of the king, took up his father's sword. Sauron, enemy of the free peoples of Middle-earth, was defeated. The ring passed to Isildur, who had this one chance to destroy evil forever, but the hearts of men are easily corrupted and the Ring of Power has a will of its own. It betrayed Isildur to his death. Isildur, in his journal, um, which is the papers that Gandalf goes to that very old library in Minas to read, uh, he describes keeping the ring as taking Weirgild for his father Elendil and brother Anarion, who Sauron slayed in the final battle. What is Weirgild? Yeah, uh, <laughs> I was gonna ask. Is this a word that I should just know? I was like afraid to ask. Yeah, it's like such it's a like normal a word. word. Like the word the. <laughs> That's too good. Uh, Tolkien, as we talked about, was heavily influenced by old Norse works of literature and prose, uh, including most notably Beowulf, in which Weirgild features heavily. Weirgild literally means man price, from where which means man, and geld, which means a debt or a payment. Like man purse. Like a man purse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Isildur was like, I took Sauron's man purse. <laughs> Showed him. Heyo. Um, in early Germanic society, for most of the first millennium, if someone were killed, the killer owed a certain sum of money to their surviving relatives, uh, and the matter was considered settled, because otherwise you could start a blood feud and those were a lot messier. Yeah. <laughs> so it Last really, generations. Exactly. So it really was just, okay, you killed my father, so I'm going to take your cool ring and we're cool. Yeah. And I won't tell your descendants sure. or whatever. So after after this final battle at Barad-dûr is over, Isildur goes to Gondor, where previously his brother Anarion had ruled, and he becomes king of both Gondor in the south and Arnor in the north. What happened to his brother? He was killed by Sauron. Oh. I know. <laughs> so Elendil, 
Isildur's father had ruled the entire kingdom of men, mm. and he split it into the north and south for each of his, his son. eldest sons to rule. Yeah. So Isildur was in charge of the north, Anarion was in charge of the south. Now Isildur is in charge of all of it because his brother has been killed. Uh, Isildur spends a year or two in Gondor doing stuff like planting the seed of the white tree in Gondor. Building, and this, I'm sorry, and this is all happening, this is all happened after he defeated that's correct okay see that's another fun thing about these movies is the concept of time is not clear whatsoever Mm -hmm. where it's like in the movies it looks like he takes the ring and immediately he and Elrond are like at Mount Doom Mm -hmm. like 10 minutes later like oh we just thought we'd stroll up here really quick (laughs) and then so is it is did this happen after he refused to throw the ring away unclear okay I believe so Right. I think that they, uh, Isildur and Elrond went right up to Mount Doom, and Isildur, holds it into the fire, and Isildur was like, nah, yeah. <laughs> and then he goes home to Gondor. Yeah. So he steals a tomb for his dad. He writes the journal entry so that Gandalf can very conveniently read it later. Uh, and after he feels that he has sufficiently instructed his nephew to succeed Anarion to rule Gondor, he journeys north to his wife and the youngest son in Rivendell, and then from there, home to Arnor. So he thinks that after the siege of Barad-dûr, all evil has been eradicated, and he doesn't set any guards in his camp. What? Yeah. So, he, But he knew that the only way to actually eradicate evil was to get rid of the ring, and he didn't. Unclear. <laughs> so he wasn't... In the books, is he just not as nefarious as he's made out to be in the movies? Absolutely, yes. Okay. The, the movies make him kind of villainous yeah. when he refuses to throw the ring into the fire. Right. Well, he's, he's just like a guy. Right. He's a guy whose like, family was just killed, and he's just trying to do his best and rule all the men. Yeah. Not that I'm saying he's like a precious cinnamon roll, but he's definitely not a villain. He's yeah. someone who was corrupted by the ring. Yeah. Um, but he wasn't like... <laughs> no, he definitely wasn't like Smiley Whiplashing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's a fun topical <laughs> reference. Uh, so, on the journey to Rivendell, he and his men, including his three oldest sons, are beset by literally a thousand or two orcs. Yeah. Yeah. And this is where in the movie he gets killed. Yes, exactly. Okay. So, two of his sons are slain. And seeing that there is no hope of victory with how outnumbered they are, his last living son begs him to take the ring and flee, and Isildur does. He tries to swim across the Anduin River, but the current sweeps him back over to the conflict, and the ring slips from his finger. This was Isildur. He had... Correct. Not, but Isildur's son is the one who said, hey, get out of here. Yes, okay. Isildur's son, who wrote very romantically, said, I'll hold them off. Yeah. We need to go and get back to our mom and our your youngest son. And he's like, let me try to swim against this really strong current to get away. <laughs> they don't really teach good swimming <laughs> for men. So you take, what is what is that class called for like little kids? You take like, he wasn't a little guppy. Oh! <laughs> yeah, might have, things might have been different. A lot of things might have been different if he was a little guppy. If he had just gone to guppy school. <laughs> uh, so when he emerges from the river, the ring has fallen off and it's in the riverbed. Orcs see him and shoot him full of arrows. And that's what we see in the movie. If you want to read more about it, it's called The Disaster of Gladden Fields, and it's very interesting. 
So they, um, I mean, they meaning Galadriel, mm-hmm. says it betrayed Isildur to his death. And that line I've always found interesting because is that literal, like, the ring is sentient, is Sauron the ring? Oh, boy. Like, it has the capability to betray. It definitely can't think complex thoughts. Mm-hmm. It's not like Sauron is imprisoned in the ring and he can kind of control it. Okay. Um, however, a part of Sauron's essence is in the ring. So the ring, A, hates men. B, hates Isildur specifically. <laughs> yeah. And C, wants to return to Sauron so that he can continue messing stuff up in Middle-earth. And where is Sauron right now? What does it mean to return to Sauron? Well, <laughs> another great question. Because he's like, Un- unclear. <laughs> yeah, there's that whole thing. A good guess for where Sauron is at any given time is Mount it's Doom. in our hearts. Aww. <laughs> Mount Doom. <laughs> <laughs> My heart is like Mount Doom. Frodo is in there. <laughs> so, yeah, the ring betrayed Isildur, but not in a way that implies complex thought or doing it on purpose. Yeah. It just is its nature. Exactly. It took an opportunity to make Isildur be dead. Yeah. And to get away from Isildur. Precisely. Yeah. Okay. And some things that should not have been forgotten were lost. History became legend. Legend became myth. And for two and a half thousand years, the ring passed out of all knowledge. Until, when chance came, it ensnared a new bearer. I just want to talk so briefly about the ages of time in Arda that is the world that Middle-earth is a part of. Yeah. Uh, there's a time before time when everyone's immortal party animals. Then there are the years of the trees. Then there's the first age when all the cool swords are made in Gondolin. <laughs> uh, and also everyone is at war over something called the Silmarils, which we'll talk a lot about later. Then there's the second age when Sauron makes the rings, conquers a lot of Middle-earth. And then the third age where things are mostly quiet until the last like 50 years when the events of the hobbit and lord of the rings happen right then there's the fourth age which is lord of the rings epilogue stuff yeah so when galadriel talks about the two and a half thousand years when the ring is waiting for its chance to wreck our shop that's the first part of the third age okay and this is the ring in its sentient not sentient yep. way of waiting it out knowing knowing and doing air quotes right now very good that uh if if it waits long enough and people will forget about the conflict that happened 2000 years ago because as Galadriel says uh history becomes legend legend becomes myth um and people forgot and people forgot and so essentially like Sauron's forces were able to do like a sneak attack on the world because like everybody just considered this to be a, nothing more than a story yes absolutely yeah it had been a very very long time since there was a dark lord in Middle Earth, and people got a little complacent, comfortable, a little yeah. comfortable, yeah. Which uh, certainly isn't the case everywhere. Like uh, in Gondor, in particular, they are they share a border with border, <laughs> border, 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 a border, border, a mortar border, uh, and so they have seen small conflicts like throughout that whole time, just like orc raiding parties and whatnot. Yeah. So I, it's not to say that everything was peaceful throughout all of Middle Earth. Yeah. I want to give Gondor its due for protecting. 
protecting the rest of Middle Earth from the orcs leaving Mordor. This is not going to be accessible to everybody, so we might just cut this out, but just for my own sake, because obviously Dragon Age is based on Tolkien. As is all modern fantasy. Yeah, (laughs) but just like the whole like between blights, there's still like dark spawn Mm -hmm. that come up every once in a while. Absolutely. People are like, people aren't concerned. They're not convinced that there's a blight just because they see a dark spawn. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, just because smaller conflicts are more commonplace, Mm -hmm. so it doesn't ping your sense of danger the way that it should. Right. The ring came to the creature Gollum, who took it deep into the tunnels of the Misty Mountains, and there it consumed him. The ring brought to Gollum unnatural long life. For 500 years, it poisoned his mind. (laughs) And in the gloom of Gollum's cave, it waited. Darkness crept back into the forests of the world. Rumor grew of a shadow in the east, whispers of a nameless fear, and the ring of power perceived its time had now come. It abandoned Gollum, but something happened then that the ring did not intend. It was picked up by the most unlikely creature imaginable, a hobbit. Bilbo Baggins of the Shire. For the time will soon come when hobbits will shape the fortunes of all. Nice. Nailed it. Yeah. I think I have a pretty good career in Kate Blanchett <laughs> impersonation. Um, yeah, that would that would be my real final question about this uh, prologue is, um, was it a coincidence that Gandalf pushed Bilbo out of his door just in time for him to find the one ring? <laughs> like, is this the serendipity? This is a very... Big, <laughs> big question. Yeah. Uh, and it, it kind of, it brings up the questions of, like, self-determination versus predetermination in Middle-earth. Like, is everything set out from the beginning of time? Right. Or do people have free will? Which is kind of a bigger question, That's so just, we're qualified to discuss. more of a general <laughs> life question. Yes. Uh, but I do want to talk a little bit that Gandalf definitely didn't know the whereabouts of the One Ring. Okay. Um, and honestly, Tolkien didn't either when he wrote The Hobbit. Oh. Uh, it's worth mentioning that at the time The Hobbit was written, the ring that Bilbo found wasn't, in all caps, the One Ring. It was just a, a random ring. magic ring. Yeah, he's like, oh, I turned into the wall. Exactly. Cool. And later, when Tolkien wanted to write like a huge story and he wanted to be able to connect it to uh, The Hobbit. He wanted to be able to basically marry The Hobbit back into the whole legendarium that he had already written. Yeah. And he thought, oh, Bilbo found the magic ring. Let's make it the one ring. Yeah. That's the thread that ties it all together. So Interesting. (laughs) Yeah. So at the time, it was not that thing. Yeah. But... Um, okay, so this definitely is not pre-planned. Correct. Tolkien yeah, <laughs> correct. Um, I was wondering, too, which I think that a lot of people wonder about, is that um, Sauron puts on the ring mm-hmm. and nothing happens, <laughs> but Frodo and Bilbo both go invisible. And what I have heard, because obviously I don't read ever and I'm uneducated. Illiterate. Um, I'm totally illiterate. Uh, <laughs> can't even say the word. Um, that the ring amplifies 
the characteristic of you or your race mm-hmm. because like habits go invisible because they are not very known to the world mm-hmm. and people kind of pass them by without a thought because they're physically small and because they're just very like remote and people aren't even largely aware of the existence of hobbits. For sure. So like what happens when like if Boromir did get a hold of the ring, what would happen if he put it on? Well, are you ready for my 90 page fan fiction? (laughs) (laughs) I'm so ready. I've never been more ready for anything. Um, That's actually also not explained. Okay. About why when Sauron puts the ring on, you see him as a big pointy man with a ring on. Yeah. Uh, whereas when even when a Sildor puts it on, he goes he invisible. He goes invisible as well. too. I thought that that was something that the movies just like did because it's like too much to explain. For sure. Um, as far as I know, Isildur does go invisible when he wears the ring. Okay. Uh, and it is it is simply unclear or unexplained why it has a different effect on Isildur, Frodo, and Bilbo compared to what it does on Sauron himself. And it could just be this is what happens to Sauron specifically or this is what happens to immortals versus mortals. There are there are a lot of differences. Well, let's count all the differences between <laughs> Sauron and Frodo. Sure. <laughs> but it's just something that is a very, it, it's ripe for speculation because there's no clear answer about it. So whatever sure. you think is valid. <laughs> Fair enough. I like that. Yeah. I get to decide. You're valid now. All up to me. <laughs> uh, you did ask if it was, if it was fate that he, that Bilbo found the ring at the time that he did. And I want to talk a little bit about luck in The Hobbit as a concept. The word luck or derivative like lucky and luckily is used 47 times in The Hobbit, which is outlandishly a lot considering how short of a book it is. Yeah. Um, Professor Corey Olson, uh, in his podcast, The Tolkien Professor, which I can't recommend enough, makes a very particular point of calling out how often luck is mentioned in The Hobbit. Luck is on Bilbo's side so often that even in a book of dwarves and magic and dragons, it's hard to believe. The Tolkien professor theorizes that this is more like luck with a capital L. That is, the creator god, Iluvatar, intervening in tiny ways in order to bring about the end of Sauron. So if this is true, if anyone is orchestrating complex stuff, it's Iluvatar and not Gandalf. It's, it's something to think about. It's certainly not canonical, yeah. but it is very interesting. And where where did you say you got this information from? Professor Corey Olson on his podcast, The Tolkien Professor. Oh. Yeah. So we're not the first one who's ever done a Tolkien. No, no. I think we might be the second. <laughs> Great. Second's the best. That's what I learned from grade school. The second the best. Third is the turd in the wedding dress with the treasure chest. Aww. <laughs> a lot of a lot of lore a lot around of placement. <laughs> I I want to read one quote from The Hobbit um, when Bilbo finds the ring. He guessed as well as he could and crawled along for a good way till suddenly his hand met what felt like a tiny ring of cold metal lying on the floor of the tunnel. It was a turning point in his career, but he did not know it. He put the ring in his pocket almost without thinking. Certainly it did not seem of any particular use at the moment. So it's not very sinister, like they make it out to be in the Hobbit movies. Yeah, where he's like, 
Oh shit, I'm gonna hide this ring. Yeah, I, I just heard a voice. I'm gonna shove it in my pocket really quick and hide it behind my back all the time. Exactly. I'm definitely not gonna tell Gandalf about it. Yeah. But did he tell Gandalf? Eventually, yes. Okay. Not immediately. Um, but that wasn't out of a, a desire to keep the ring private and for himself. It was because he hadn't done any successful burgling on the quest and he wanted to, the dwarf to think, think he's cool. Exactly. So he's like, I'm with he, it. Got a ring. <laughs> exactly. He didn't want them to to know he was separated from the rest of the company in the tunnels below the Misty Mountains and he comes upon them outside of the Misty Mountains basically discussing him and being like should we go back for Bilbo and like I don't think so it's kind of shit in there (laughs) and then Bilbo he's like oh I'll give them all a fright like I'm just gonna take the ring off and I'll act like I was here the whole time but I was so stealthy that they didn't notice me yeah yeah nice yeah so Bilbo's He's shady. (laughs) Cool. Well, I think that answers all of my questions for as far as the prologue goes. Do you have anything else that you want to add? No, I think that I talked enough for a (laughs) hundred hours. (laughs) So next episode, we'll talk a little bit about what Hobbit culture is like, who the Sackville Bagginses are. Sure, we're kind of going through the movies chronologically, so the next step is Hobbiton. Yes, concerning mm-hmm. Hobbits, Long Expected Party. Hi there, this is Leah from the future again. Thanks so much for tuning in to the second episode of Speak, Friend, and Enter. If you liked what you heard, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes. Those reviews really help people find the show. Our Twitter is at SpeakFriendPod, so check us out there for official pod stuff. And if you have a Tolkien question you'd like us to discuss on the show, email us at SpeakFriendPod at gmail.com. My personal Twitter is at AskIstwin, that's I-S-T-W-E-N, and Audrey is too cool for social media, but if you journey to the sea and speak into a seashell, she will hear you. So, until next time, Muhu Torgizu Turubuskin. May your beard continue to grow.